Good morning. Yesterday I was at a gathering um, where I heard a wonderful story by a, a, uh, a woman who, um, who shared her story of uh, feeling that while she'd had some connection with the church, she always felt on the outer, and partly because she felt like she was damaged goods. Uh, her story was uh, yeah, quite uh, uh, colourful, um, and, uh, and she'd had uh, uh, people, men who were close in her life, who'd, um, who'd given her a hard time, and, and sometimes some of them had ended out in prison, and she just felt unacceptable to God. And uh, it took, and and she felt her life was fruitless, useless. Um, and as Christians quietly and persistently reached out to her, and she eventually gave in uh, to their invitation to to come to a gathering, a conference, weekend camp. Uh, where she heard more clearly the gospel and saw it demonstrated by that community of Christians, her fear began to melt and she began to believe that there is a God who could fully handle her damaged life and fully forgive the things that she'd got into and uh, that she could have a new life in Christ. Wonderful story. Uh, we're going to hear about someone who I think too, whilst he looked uh, probably quite together on the outside, inwardly felt quite damaged and unacceptable. And we'll hear about that in a moment. Um, I suspect that there are some of us who at times in our lives also share something of that feeling. Let's just remind ourselves of where we've got to in Acts. As a result of a great persecution in Jerusalem, spearheaded by Saul, ravaging the church. As a result of that persecution, the Spirit scattered believers. They were scattered by the persecution, but the Spirit was involved in the scattering so that wherever they went, the word also went. And so Saul's desire, Saul who becomes Paul, Saul's desire to destroy the church only served to expand the church. And as we go through Acts, we'll uh, hear more and more of what happens to Saul. And in fact, this little uh, story here, or in fact, the whole uh, chapter 8, the whole chapter, is what happens between uh, Saul beginning that uh, aggressive action against believers um, to the point where he gets converted in the next chapter, chapter 9. But meanwhile, we're seeing how uh, the mission of the Spirit to make known, to glorify the name of Christ, that's why he comes, to reveal Christ, that mission of the Spirit is unstoppable. So the devil, devil might think he has extinguished the witness of the church in Jerusalem, in one spot, but in no time a new fire front uh, has taken off. And so each new, new initiative of the Spirit breaks new ground. It can't be contained within the old wineskins of Judaism. New wineskins are being developed 
to contain the new wine of the Spirit. And the hopes and the dreams of Israel's prophets are being fulfilled. God is doing a new thing. Uh, Isaiah spoke of the Messiah as the one who would suffer, not just for Israel, but for the nations. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And again, Isaiah, speaking of the suffering Christ, who was a stumbling block to Jews, they couldn't even contemplate how, how the Messiah could be one who suffered. That did not compute. But Isaiah says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured. He was damaged, wasn't he? Beyond that of any human being. And his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. So the great burden of the Spirit was to show that Jesus... The one who was crucified, disfigured beyond that of any human being, not just because of the physical abuse he endured, but because of the sin that he bore in his own body. The Spirit longed to show that this Jesus whom they killed was and is the Messiah who can, who's come to bring salvation to the world. Now, you can't keep such a great gospel to yourselves. It needs to be let loose in the world. And so the Spirit will utilise all means, even the rage of Saul against the church, to get the word out, to get the church moving out. Go, Jesus said. And so because of a great persecution, the church is scattered and with it the scattering of the word of God. And as the word is believed, there is great joy in unexpected places. Like places like Samaria, of all places. Who would have expected the Spirit to be poured out on the Samaritans? Actually, they were ripe for the gospel, weren't they? Because they had the uh, woman by the well's testimony, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. They were thirsty for the living water of the Spirit that Jesus said would well up in the heart of everyone who believed. So when one of those scattered believers, Philip, Remember Philip, like Stephen, was one who'd been set apart to serve the tables. And in that, you know, they were launched into ministry in a, maybe what they thought was a small way. But the Spirit took that launching and launched them further into, uh, for, for Stephen, martyrdom, and for Philip, a travelling evangelist. Quite remarkable. You know, you don't say, well, hang on, that's the pastor's job. No, the Spirit takes us all and uses us according to the gifts he's given us in ways that sometimes we couldn't have dreamt of. Don't limit what God can do. Philip didn't. He was just obedient. And he brought that gospel to the Samaritans and there was great joy. And he not only preached in Samaria, he preached in other villages of the Samaritans. Remember, Jews hated the Samaritans. 
Jesus loved the Samaritans, and so did Philip. So can you see the burden on Luke's heart as he writes Acts? He wants people to see what the Spirit was doing in those early days so that this dynamic story of the gospel going out would unsettle those who would later read this book who have got settled so that they would long to see the power and fruit that we see here. Luke was wanting their faith, Philip's faith, to stimulate our faith in a Lord who is building his church and opening the doors of the kingdom to those who were looked upon as excluded. So we find Philip happily bearing witness to Christ in Samaria when he's suddenly given new orders. He's told by an angel to travel down the road to Gaza. He's told by an angel. I, I was sharing this with my, one of my granddaughters and she just walked into the study to interrupt my sermon preparation and, and she said, I believe in angels. She said, they are God's sidekicks. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was Savannah. Not here. God's sidekicks. And then Amalia wanted me to say something else in the sermon and I said no. <laughs> so one of God's sidekicks tells Philip to head out to this lonely desert road without giving him any reason for the journey. So here he is doing some great church planting in Samaria. Why would you then go into the wilderness, a desert place? That's where the road goes. God doesn't always make sense, does he? He doesn't always explain himself. The angel says, rise up and go. And Philip simply rose and went. I remember when God spoke to a previous pastor here, Noel, Jew, and his wife, Bev, and said, go to Scotland. Now, that probably didn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people here and, and to their friends and family. It probably didn't make sense to the kids. But they went and God had great purpose in them going, not without trials, but full of the fruit of God's kingdom. Geoffrey Bingham's ministry, that means a great deal to many of us. Years before he came to South Australia, God told Geoffrey to take his young family and go to Pakistan. And what a remarkable action of the spirit and of the gospel they were part of in that country. And if you've not read that account, particularly of the revival that they were part of during those years, you probably don't understand some of the deep longings of Jeffrey's heart for the church in Australia. And you can read it very simply. You can download a book called Twice Conquering Love in PDF file. And if you read Love Fest 1, 2 and 3 in that book, you will get a sense of what they went through and experience of, of the action of the Spirit of God in Pakistan back in those years. If God says go, we better go even if it doesn't make sense uh, to us or to others. I think, um, sure, if you're impressionable and young, you should check out some wise, godly person if God says something to you. But God does speak to us. 
He does lead us. Sometimes he leads us without even telling us that something's going to happen that is going to be very significant. I heard a story recently of someone in this church just went somewhere and there was someone waiting. They didn't know they were coming, but they were wanting to make contact with this person. And there they were before them. God had organised that. When I was working at West Care Mission, I met a fellow there. We talked. I recognised God was doing something in this guy's life. He wasn't a believer yet, but I could see God was stirring. And uh, met him a few times. And then I went to a conference at a Salvation Army place. And, uh, and I knew someone lived next door. I didn't think it was this guy. It was another person. In fact, they, lived, they were sharing house, the house there. And I thought, oh, I've got time, I'll visit. I never visited people when I worked in the mission because I was worn out from what happened at the day centre. So there's this one moment that I visit someone in their home near the city. And he comes to the door, he said, thanks for coming. He'd left a note at the mission for me to come and visit him because his daughter was very sick. No one gave me the note. I prayed for his daughter We talked more about where he was in his thinking and heart and searching. Within two or three weeks, that man was baptised. Don't doubt that God's spirit is at work in us and can lead us to people who need to hear the gospel of Christ. It won't happen every day or every week, but don't doubt that God can use any of us in any circumstance. He used Philip. And Philip was told to go and he went. (coughs) He takes off down towards Gaza and there was an Ethiopian. Now who was this Ethiopian? Uh, The very word has the meaning of black. So he was a black man, African. Um, Ethiopia in biblical days actually refers not to the smaller Ethiopia that we know of now in Africa. Uh, It was larger. It uh, covered Sudan, Somalia and southern Egypt. And it was also called Cush in the Bible. Uh, And in fact, tradition claims that there was a strong link between the ancient kingdom of Ethiopia and Israel going right back to Solomon. And there's an interesting suggestion that the Queen of Sheba had a closer interest in King Solomon than simply being impressed with his wisdom and wealth. And so for over 2,000 years, there are many Ethiopians who have claimed to be Jews. Interesting. Uh, No one knows for sure how genuine the claim is. But it does give some sort of background to why this Ethiopian is coming to Jerusalem to worship. And so he actually may represent a related people group that had split off from the Jewish people much further back in history than the Samaritans, but was still blood-related to Israel and therefore to be reached before the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. Now, that's, I think that's an interesting observation. Can't prove it, though. Uh, there, are Ethiopian, there, are, there are Ethiopians today who've gone back to the land of Israel claiming to be Jews, and they're struggling to be accepted within Israel as true Jews. Some don't believe their story. <laughs> Others do. Interesting. 
He wasn't just an Ethiopian, though. He was an Ethiopian who was a eunuch. And we don't know whether he was born a eunuch or whether he was castrated as a boy or a young man. In many cultures, it was common practice for high officials to be eunuchs, particularly where a queen was in power, and for obvious reasons. A eunuch would work closely with the queen without becoming a temptation or a threat. Um, So to be castrated was actually a common means of gaining employment in the imperial service. And they often gained immense power. That happened in China, in other countries as well. And since they were incapable of having children, they would not be tempted to seize power and start a dynasty of their own. So this particular eunuch was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians and in charge of all her treasurer. So he was the minister of finance, something like David Powell. He was equivalent to the role of our federal treasurer or the US secretary of treasury. He had a, a very high position. <laughs> David said he's unique. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hearing. And we're told that he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. But he would have probably been disappointed because there were clear barriers hindering his approach to God. A eunuch, according to Deuteronomy 23.1, was excluded from the Jewish assembly. He was physically damaged goods. He was not accepted in the assembly of God's people. So they were not allowed to become Jews in the full sense. They were classed as proselytes of the gate. They were looked upon as second-class Jews. So we can say that firstly the Spirit leads Philip to the Samaritans who are only partly Jewish and not accepted. But now they're accepted by the mother church in Jerusalem through the hands of Peter and John. Remember, they lay hands on them, the Spirit falls. And now the Spirit leads Philip to an Ethiopian eunuch. So the gospel's breaking through barriers that had existed for centuries. God is doing a new thing. And so here he is, a high official, great responsibility. He would have had an entourage. He wouldn't have been travelling alone on that road to Gaza in his chariot. He would have had an entourage of servants, would have looked good in robes and, you know... He would have been wealthy. He had status. But he also would have carried the pain of knowing that he would never be married and never have family, no posterity. Eunuchs were like dry, dread, dead trees. They could never bear fruit. I can remember after leaving a church as a pastor and wondering what I was going to do next and we were... Pruning a, I was pruning a vine and I looked at that vine and it was dry and it looked utterly dead. And that's exactly how I felt. And I can remember struggling with God. Where are you in this? And going up to Paradise AOG and I, I was late in the service, a bad state of mind, and this African-American who'd preached and I'd missed the message, he then sang... And he sang, Great is thy faithfulness. And just that song renewed me. 
and the feeling of being like that dry dead vine just was just melted away. I knew God had not forsaken me. He was faithful. But this eunuch would have felt that way. Uh, he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship and now he's returning. And that journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem would take several weeks. Um, I don't think the ache of his heart was satisfied, was met at Jerusalem. Uh, not only physically was his damaged goods and you know, there's reasons, hormonal reasons, that would have been apparent. He wouldn't have looked quite the man that other men look. Uh, but also spiritually, he felt cut off from the rest, looked upon as second class, unable to come near in the temple. Unwelcome. Not a true Jewish proselyte, but someone just sitting on the fence. His deep need to know God who could remove his shame and despair had not been met, but he was determined to learn more about the God of Israel, the God he believed in. So he was not without uh, means. He had money. He bought a scroll of Isaiah. That would have taken a long time to hand copy. It would have cost a lot. Um, he was willing to pay the money to get that word to read. And so we find him seated in the chariot as it's going along, returning to his country and reading the prophet Isaiah. And as he travelled, he must have been travelling a fair way because he's got to chapter 53. And prior to Philip joining him, he would have read the words of Isaiah 53 and 3 to 5. Let me read those. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and our carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And I'm sure he may not have understood it, but something of the uh, balm of those words would have been uh, applied to the bitterness and barrenness of his own soul. He was ripe for picking when the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Philip had to run up, run to catch up to him. And as he came close, he could hear the man reading Isaiah. That would have been Philip. Now I know why you sent me here, Lord. And he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone guides me? He admits he's helpless to grasp what the prophet is saying. And it'd be good to hear the tone of his voice when he said that. Was there a sense of frustration or despair? But then he invites Philip, a stranger, to join him in the chariot. And I suspect something about Philip's demeanour, the warmth of his smile, the warmth in the tone of his question must have dissolved any suspicion about 
the man's motive. Now these are the words from Isaiah 53, 7 that he was reading. He was led like a slam to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Cut off without descendants. I don't know. Would that have spoken to this eunuch's situation? Considering his own circumstance and pain. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning from this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Not only from this prophecy, but from many other scriptures, he showed him how Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the one upon whom God had laid the iniquity of us all, that this one who suffered for the sins of his people would be exalted as Saviour and Lord for the entire world. And Philip must have told him that if he repented and was baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, he too would receive the promise of the Spirit. The reason we can assume that is that as soon as they saw some water, the eunuch says, see, here's some water. What prevents, prevents me from being baptised? You know, do you have to go to Jerusalem and get clearance from the leaders there to make sure I'm eligible, that I'm not disqualified anymore? He was making sure, you know, what can prevent me, even me, from being baptised? Is there anything that stands in the way of me being fully recognised as a member of the kingdom of God through Christ? I think in the gospel, the eunuch heard that nothing excluded him. And he expects Philip to say absolutely no reason. Let's do it now. No obstacle that would exclude him from coming home fully to God through Jesus Christ. And they both went down into the water. And I love that. When I baptise someone and I stand in the water, I have this sense that we are in the water together. I'm not the holy one baptising the sinner. I'm a saved, redeemed sinner, just as you are, who is being baptised. We're in the water together. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory and all are justified freely by his grace. There's no second class there's no barriers. And when they came out of the water, up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And I wonder, you know, there was joy in Samaria, now there's joy in this Ethiopian eunuch's heart. And I wonder... As he went, whether he kept on... I'm sure he kept on reading Isaiah. Let me read these words in Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner, verse 3, who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. And let not one of us say, behold, I am a dry tree. I'm damaged my life is useless. There'll be no fruit that will remain. Not if you're a, a baptised 
Not if you're baptised into Christ, united, planted together with him. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. In the likeness of his death and in the likeness of his resurrection so that you might bear fruit for God. How could you be a dry, dead tree? You are in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It may be that there are hopes and dreams in our hearts and lives that won't be fulfilled in the way that we thought they could have and should have been fulfilled. And that would be true for this Ethiopian eunuch. But God was now opening up a destiny in Christ whereby he would see much fruit. Who knows how God used him when he went back to Ethiopia. We know by the 4th century, Ethiopia Ethiopia was declared a Christian nation. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And the prophet sees that fulfilment in terms of Judaism and bringing sacrifices, keeping the Sabbath. The Spirit was going to fulfil it in a fuller way. We come to Romans 12 and what do we read? Present your bodies. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We don't bring our lambs on the altar. We bring ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He went to Jerusalem to worship, but it probably didn't go well. But he came home as one who would go on worshipping God for the rest of his days, as he was a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's where we are. That's how God will use us. We might see that we're damaged, somehow different. We don't fit. We need to see ourselves as wholly acceptable through Christ, united with him in baptism. Have you been baptised? If not, what would stop you The water's going to be there two weeks' time. You could join two young people to be baptised and to fully accept your inclusion in the people of God.
Beautiful story, isn't it? Very simple story. That Ethiopian eunuch. Um, I wonder the, the, the fragrance of Christ that he brought back into the royal palace. His life was changed. He had purpose, no longer shame. He was set free. He had a whole new dignity. He was at peace with God. He knew he was included and he knew he had full access to the Father by the Spirit through the blood of Christ. That's where we are. So let's pray. Our dear Father, we thank you that you heal our wounded spirit. That you've borne our sorrows, dear Lord, on that cross. And you've brought us home to the Father without shame. Dear Father, we thank you that your spirit can bring wonderful freedom from the things that have wounded us in life, whether it be our own sin or the sin of others, or whether it be the things that seem to uh, cause us to feel judged and excluded. Lord, that you can take our eyes off what we're not and put our eyes onto what we are in your dear Son. I thank you, dear Father, that when your Spirit floods our hearts with the love of God, with your deep, eternal love, we are changed. And we need not walk around as victims. And we need not live forever in insecurity. But we can be strengthened by grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that as you lead and when opportunity opens up, we will have boldness to speak of Christ. We will have the courage, dear Father, of your love, that we are your children and that we have great purpose in these days, wherever you lead. And lead us, dear Lord, please, we pray that we might see much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.